How's it going? Hey, how are you? I mean, this is like polite, like courteous, right? We always ask these questions. How, how have you been? How are things in your world? Right? It's, it's one of those kind of normal default questions we ask when we see someone we know. Like, I'm sure all of you, like me, have answered that question multiple times already today. Uh, it's kind of just an aut- automatic question. And so because of that, we have these automatic responses. I, I could probably guess what you said. Good. I'm good. Or this one, good. I'm busy, but I'm good. Good, yeah. I'm doing great. Things are just great. Here's this one. Living the dream. Which, of course, means you are not living the dream, right? If you say that, you are so far from a dream. In fact, you're hoping you wake up and whatever is going on is, in fact, a dream or a nightmare. And that one's usually the indicator that things aren't good, Right? I've got a couple of default responses, too. If things are going pretty well, like most of you, I kind of just respond, hey, good, man, how are things with you? And when things, just a little insight into me, when, when things aren't good, I usually, depending on who you are, I probably will just respond with, I'm pretty okay. I want you to answer honestly right now where you are, not out loud, but be honest, how are you? How are you? Honestly, <laughs> I'm pretty okay. It's been a hard couple of weeks. There have been several occasions when someone has shared just devastating news with me. There have been several funerals. There have been several occasions where I felt like I've let some people down. There have been several occasions where my attitude has been far from godly, where my words may have been hurtful, where my conversations with God have been uh, less than respectful, where my faith has been far less than solid. You feel any of that? I know you do. And if you don't, (laughs) you have. And if you haven't, you will. Or you're just a liar, and that's just where you sit. That's what it is. But no, if tragedy or sudden change in circumstances, whether they're yours or, or someone you love, has caused you to hurt, caused you to doubt, caused you to be angry with God even, caused you to question, I get it. And that's what we're going to talk about today, and that's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks in this series we've called The Jesus Way. We want to spend some time answering the question, how do we deal with with hurt? How do we deal with grief? How do we deal with devastating news? How do we deal with conflict? How do we recover when when those things hit our lives? What's the right response when when someone else causes that to happen in our lives, right? What's the way that Jesus would lead us toward the, the Jesus way? So today I want us to start on this path with kind of the first step, the kind of the first place we have to go before we can go anywhere else uh, in dealing with these things. And what we're going to discover today in this one encounter is that Jesus actually went out of his way, he risked his reputation to create a scenario that included pain and sorrow and grief and sickness and anger and ultimately death. And the reason he went out of his way to create this scenario, the reason he did this, it's quite a story, is to assure you and me 
that whatever we're going through, God the Father is aware. Our Heavenly Father, He cares. He's with us in it, and He can see us through it. Now, the challenge for many of us, if you, if you grew up in and around the church at all, you know this story, and the temptation is for you to immediately run to the end of the story because you know how the story ends, but it's not simply a story. This is a narrative. It actually happened, and the people in the story didn't know the end of the story. So I'm asking you to, to try to pause and, and not go there and try to just enter right into the story with, with the people that are living through it. And I want you to feel all the emotions of this encounter because it's so layered with emotion and it's in those emotions in the story that the, from the life of Jesus is going to connect with your story and mine. There's gonna be this intersection because the, the, the feelings, the emotions, the reactions are, are parallel to us. These are real people, and that's the beauty of the story in John chapter 11. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that Jesus had us on his mind when he allowed this whole thing to unfold. John chapter 11, verse 1, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, a village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they're all siblings. They live in the same place, in this place in Bethany, in the same house, and he's one of, they're one of Jesus' closest friends and one of his supporters, somebody who, who hosted Jesus in their home anytime he came to town. And so they, they, when he left, they kind of know the general direction he went. The, the sisters, they sent a, send a servant to go find Jesus, to let him know what's going on. And when the servant finds Jesus, he's with his apostles. And in verse 3, it says, the servant says to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. This is like a prayer request, right? Jesus, the one you love is sick. Would you come back to Bethany and would, would you do what you've done for so many people? Would you come back and would you heal Lazarus? Would you heal him? And of course he would, right? I mean, Jesus has healed so many strangers, people he didn't know, he never met. And so, of course, Jesus is going to get up immediately and go back to Bethany to heal his friend. And if you know the story, the apostles, they kind of get up and start to go towards the door. And Jesus says, no, sit back down. We're not going. He says in verse 4, the sickness, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Clearly, Jesus knows something that we don't know, and he's got a plan, and so there's, there's hope. He's not surprised, nor is he um, kind of concerned about what to do next. However, he sends the servant back to uh, Bethany by himself, and Jesus stays where he is with his apostles for two days and waits, seemingly, for his friend to die. Chapter 11, John, verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days, and then he said to his disciples, hey, let's go back to Judea. So, so now the 12 are just confused, right? Like, why now? I mean, really, why are we going at all? Because the last time we were there, things didn't go so well. And so in their confusion, they pray. They go to Jesus, and in verse 8, they say, Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet, <laughs> you want to go back? I think they're more concerned about their own well-being because if they're going to stone Jesus, certainly they're going to get they're going to sweep up all his guys too. Hey, hey Jesus, maybe if you did one of those like work from home miracles where, you know, you don't even have to go, like we've seen you done that. I don't know how it works. You think of something, you say something. I don't know, but you're Jesus. And so, maybe you just proclaim Lazarus healed because we really don't want to go. 
And Jesus responds with this. Jesus says in verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Just how casually Jesus talks about death. Again, his disciples are confused, and so they don't understand what's going on, and they really don't want to go, so they pray, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And so Jesus decides, okay, I got to... <laughs> guess I got to be pretty clear with them. Verse 14, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. Just pause for a moment. I want you to just enter into this conversation in your mind, the shock, the sadness that they all felt, the news of Lazarus's death. It was crushing. He was their friend too. But then, hold on, they start doing some math. Like, the servant was here two days ago. You found out this news two days ago, and you said this wasn't going to end in death, and you had time to go and to help. You, you could have done something. Even from here, you could have done something. And then it clicks. Wait, what did you say? You, you're glad you weren't there? Like, why would you say something like that? Who says something like that? What are you talking about? I'm glad I wasn't there so you may believe. Believe what? What is so important for us to believe that Jesus, you would let a friend die while his sisters watch? What is so important for us to believe, Jesus, that, that you'd allow these circumstances to play out like this? And it's the same question we'd ask, isn't it? What could be so important for us to believe that Jesus, you would allow these circumstances to unfold in my life that is causing so much hurt and pain and devastation. And in their confusion, in their devastation, in their anger, in their grief, they, they pray. They ask Jesus. They seek answers from the one who knows it all. Continually, the people in this narrative, as they're processing their loss, the trauma, the shock, as they're navigating their feelings and all their questions, they pray, and we'll see it again and again, because this is what we do. This is the first step to dealing with hurt, to difficulty, grief. We pray. It's how we respond as Christians. When, when the worst news hits, we, we pray. We fall on our knees. We shake our fists at heaven. We pour out our hearts uh, to the, and our sorrows to the Lord, to the comforter, to the healer, to the one who saves, we pray. And when we don't get the answers that we want or the answers we need, like these disciples, we pray some more. We just do what the Bible says to pray continually, whether it's us, it's a loved one, it's a stranger just trying to figure out things because nothing makes sense, we pray. And here's a little twist on things. Jesus doesn't always give answers straight away, at least not always the answers we, we want. In fact, uh, his response to the disciples is telling. He, he has a plan that he's working, a goal he's working toward, and it's not necessarily for you and I to have the answers that we want. There's something more important so that you may believe. And again, the question is, believe what? We'll get to that. But first, John gives us a little humor, a little break in the action, which is good for us. We can take a breath because this is kind of heavy and crazy. At this point in the story, it's kind of it's funny after the fact where we are today. Remember, remember uh, in Winnie the, Winnie the Pooh, the character Eeyore? 
right? The donkey's like Debbie Downer, like totally, he's the downer in the crew. And every narrative has this downer character. Jesus has one too in his crew of apostles. His name's Thomas, he's the downer guy. And so Thomas, when he finds out they're actually going to go back to Bethany anyway, he says, I love this, verse 16, well, let us also go that we may die with him. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of it, that's how he said it. Lazarus is dead, if we go to Bethany, we're gonna be dead, we're all just gonna be dead. Like, come on guys, let's just all go to Bethany and die with Lazarus. And, and Jesus and the 12, they make their way toward Bethany, and if you know the story, you may remember what happens next. Martha, Martha's the one praying. And it's quite different from the disciples. Martha is grieving. She's angry. She's hurt. She feels like Jesus has abandoned them. She's frustrated. Where were you? And she lets it all loose on Jesus. And, and something I don't want you to miss, something so powerful, when she does this, when all of her emotions just come flying out at Jesus, there is no condemnation from him. None. None. Jesus doesn't put her back in her place and tell her, hey, you better watch your tone. You better know who you're talking to. He doesn't rebuke her for her lack of faith. He doesn't tell her, hey, you, you better get it all together. And he doesn't do that with you or me either. And they get to Bethany and, and, and People had come from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is just two miles from Bethany, and so Lazarus is a well-known guy, so all the people had come to support and to grieve with and to come alongside Mary and Martha, and they're in their house, they're, in their, they're praying, they're weeping, and, and a servant comes and says, hey, the rabbi's coming, he's coming down the road, he'll be here in, in just a few moments, and Martha decides she's gonna go see him. I mean, he's, he's late. He's late to do the miracle. He's late because he missed the funeral, but she's gonna go out and meet him, and you can imagine what she's thinking, right? After all I've done for you, all the times you and your whole crew of people came to our home, we fed you, we were hospitable, we've done everything. We believed in you, we followed you, we supported you, we put up with the grief of the religious leaders who are telling us we should separate ourselves from you. And when we needed you most, when your friend needed you most, you didn't show up on time. And she says exactly that, and John records it. Martha said to Jesus, verse 21, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Translation, this is your fault. Because you could have done something to keep this from happening. And we get this, right? You get this. Like, this is so real. In this moment, you and I are all in this story. This is where this story intersects with, with our lives. If you've ever experienced tragedy or disappointment and concluded that God didn't care or that he's not there, if you've ever experienced or seen a loved one experience something and thought, if, if there is a loving God, that wouldn't have happened. If God could have, he would have. And since he didn't, Maybe he doesn't even exist, at least the God I was taught to, to believe in and to trust as a child. And if you've ever felt like that in this moment, Jesus goes out of his way to draw a circle big enough to include every one of us in this story. You see, because we're represented by Mary and Martha in the story, in our disappointment and our frustration and our anger with God, who could have and should have, but what we've concluded is he didn't. 
And with no condemnation, but rather all compassion, Jesus simply responds to Martha's prayer in verse 23. Your brother will rise again. Oh, I know. I know he'll rise again at the resurrection of the last day. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Translation, Martha, trust me. But Jesus, Martha, trust me. You know me. Will you trust me? Will you trust that I am able? Will you trust that I care? Will you trust that I am who I say that I am? That's what it all comes down to, right? Amidst all of our feelings and frustrations, are we willing to trust Jesus? Will we believe that he is able to bring beauty from our ashes? Will we hold to his promises and believe his words? This is really the second step in dealing with hurt and and difficulty, devastation, grief. This is how we respond when the worst news hits. We trust. And Martha's prayer of response in verse 27, yes, Lord, I trust you. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who's coming to the world. And so Jesus goes on into Bethany, and when Mary finds out he's coming with Martha, she goes out to find him as well, and she unloads on him in the same way her sister did. If you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died, and she's weeping. She's weeping. Of course she is. Of course she is. First, because she's just lost her brother, and now there's the anger and the frustration of being in the very presence of the one person who could have kept this from happening. Do you feel that? Isn't this how we would have felt? Isn't this how we do feel in these moments? Yes, this means yes. Do that. We can't escape the emotion and the pain and the frustration of the moment because we have all, at some level, been there, and some of us are there today. And then John writes, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And so they lead Jesus to the cave where Lazarus was buried and something incredible happens. As the, the, the shortest verse in the Bible, many of you, this is one of those Bible facts you, you remember. It's John eleven thirty five. 35. It's so significant that, that when the people came along years and years later, the verse numbers and chapter numbers weren't in the original writing. And so in the 1500s, these people came and they put verse numbers and chapter numbers, make it easier for us to find things in the Bible. And when they did that, whoever it was, gets to these next two words in the Gospel of John, and, and, and they're so impar- apparently moved by the story and have so entered into the emotion of the moment that they decide that these next two words get their own number. And I think it's kind of appropriate because these two words are packed with meaning. The text tells us that he stands in front of Lazarus' tomb and Jesus wept. Why? He's weeping because Mary and Martha are weeping. Mary and Martha, who blamed him, were weeping, and he enters into their pain and their frustration and in their loss and in their grief, and he weeps. And it isn't like his eyes are just moist. It isn't like the movie scene where he's got this single tear coming down his cheek. Jesus is weeping in such a way that the entire crowd could see him being moved by emotion, which, which honestly is not normally appropriate for, for a man in this time to show in public. And there's the man, here's the rabbi, who's weeping in such a way out in public that everybody's looking at Jesus. 
And immediately the, 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 the big crowd of people, the crowd of people are split into two groups. One party says in verse 36, wow, look, see how much he loved him. And the other group was like, we're not buying it. I mean, seriously, just two chapters ago, I mean, it wasn't two chapters for them, just a little, a little while ago, this very rabbi supposedly healed a blind man who had been blind for his whole life. If he had the power to make a blind man see, surely he could have showed up in time to save his friend Lazarus from dying. It's just like us, right? Surely he could have done something to stop this pain from happening. There's all these conflicting emotions, all this drama, and it's real, and it's loud, and you can hear it, it's everywhere, and Jesus is standing in front of Lazarus' tomb, and while it's true that Jesus could have kept this from happening, as we see throughout this entire narrative, Jesus had a different agenda in mind, something bigger, something that would reach far beyond this moment in time and impact us today in 2023. And so then Jesus steps up and he does the unthinkable, and now we're introduced to a whole other wave of emotion. Jesus says in verse 39, take away the stone. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> no, no, we're not doing that. You don't, you, don't, you don't take away the stone, Jesus. It's meant to be there potentially forever, and you certainly don't take it away on, on that day. There was a gasp in the crowd when Jesus announced, take away the stone, and now they've got a decision to make. Do we trust the rabbi who showed up late, who missed the opportunity, who missed the funeral, and besides that, everybody in the crowd knows because of how much time has gone by, Lazarus is not going to look like Lazarus. After four days in that environment, the body begins to deteriorate beyond recognition. That's why these funerals happen so quickly. And Martha reminds Jesus of this, and she reminds him of something else as well. You may remember what she said, verse 39, by this time, Lord, there's a bad odor. But she's been in there four days. Take the stone away anyway. It's about to become horrible, like insult to injury. Can you imagine the emotions? Do we do this or not? That's my favorite part. What happened next, Jesus begins to pray, and he prays out loud, so loud that everyone can hear his prayer. And here's what Jesus prayed. Don't miss this in verse 41. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. He's already been praying. And I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. And I think we can read this and go, I said this for the benefit also of the people that are sitting here. For the benefit of the people who are navigating circumstances that are rocking their faith, that are, that are too hard and too heavy, wondering if God even cares. I said this for the benefit of those who think, I wonder if God hears my prayers or if God's mad at me or there's something I could have done so, to, to affect whether or not these things happened. He says, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe. And once again, believe what? Here's the answer. That they may believe, God, that you sent me. Okay, Jesus, I, you're telling us that you engineered this entire scenario, this, this entire event, because this is all about who sent you? And Jesus would say, yes. Well, Jesus, is this such a big deal that it's worth all of this drama and all this pain and all this grief? Jesus would say, yeah. And here's why. If the Father sent the Son to show us what the Father is like, 
then you can rest assured that the Father weeps with you in your pain. Even if you blame him, God weeps with you in your sorrow just just as Jesus wept with his friends in their sorrow. And if the Father is like the Son, and this is Jesus' point, if the Father sent the Son to represent the Father, you can know with certainty that our circumstances are not an indicator of God's absence or God's silence. You can live with absolute assurance and certainty that God has entered into your pain with you because that is what the Son did. God the Father sent his son Jesus to demonstrate his love and his compassion and his care for you and for me. And this might even be more important. If the Father sent his son, and this is what Jesus wants us to believe, if this whole thing was arranged to prove the fact that the Father sent the son, he sends the son to demonstrate what the Father can do. And if what Jesus is is about to do next, which we all know the end of the story, if what Jesus does next is an indication of what the Father can do, then for you and me, there is hope. Hope for your heartache, hope for your marriage, hope for your loved one, hope for your neighbor, hope for our church, regardless of the circumstances. If the Father sent the Son, and the Father has the power to do what the Son is about to do, there's hope. There's the assurance of God's presence, the assurance of God's promise, the assurance of God's grace for you and your future and your loved ones. We sang it earlier, and this story proves it. There's hope in the Jesus way. So hold on to hope. So Jesus takes a deep breath, and he calls out in a loud voice. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Verse 45, therefore, this isn't a surprise, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and who had seen what Jesus did believed in him. <laughs> yeah, they did. And what they believe? Well, they believed exactly what Jesus wanted them to believe. My goodness, a mere mortal could not call to a dead guy who's been in a grave for four days and bring him back to life. Surely, this man has been sent to us by God. And so what he says can be trusted, what he's promised can be trusted, who he says our heavenly father is can be trusted, and if the father is like the son, and the son is demonstrating the love and the concern and the compassion of the father, then there is hope for these disciples in their confusion. And there's hope for Mary and Martha in their devastating grief and and anger. There's hope for Lazarus in death. And there's hope for you and me in the darkest of nights, in the most dire circumstances. And Jesus said, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you might believe. And I'm glad he wasn't there either. Because now we can believe he's here with us. And so you and I can face tomorrow with confidence and with hope. We're all part of a bigger story of God's good news. And I'm glad that he wasn't there either because now we know that circumstances are not an indicator of God's absence or a lack of concern or or a lack of compassion. God's not abandoned you. God is actually with you and he weeps with you. And Jesus went out of his way to demonstrate that very thing, didn't he? And that's where peace is found. And that's where grace is experienced. And that's where you are able to sleep at night. And so when, when hurt and difficulty and conflict and devastation and grief hit, pray. 
The Bible says, cast all of your cares, all of your worries, all of your anxieties, all your frustrations, all your anger, throw them on Jesus because he cares for you. And trust that he is who he says he is, and he is able. And hold on to hope. Because Jesus is resurrection. And if he can raise a dead man to life, and if he himself can overcome death, that he can heal and he can help you and I in our hurt. Do you believe this? Let's pray together. God, you're so good to us. Even when we can't see it, even when we don't feel it, when we can trust in who you are because you have proved it over and over and over again. And so we ask that you would give us faith, that you would receive all the outpouring of all the emotions. Help us to walk through the grief and all the feelings and, and to feel them, but to bring them to you, knowing that you alone are the one that can heal us because you alone are resurrection. And Father, we're so grateful that you promise and you follow through that you have never and will never abandon us. And because of that, we have hope. And so as we walk through these next few weeks, would you remind us of that? In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to share with you kind of where we've been in this last hour. Some pretty cool things happen in just an hour. There's only one name. Christ is our firm foundation. Why would he fail us now? He won't. He won't. First, they were called followers of the way. I think we ought to get the t-shirt. There's hope in the Jesus way. He wore my sin, I'll gladly wear his name. I choose the Jesus way. How are you? Not out loud. How are you? I'm pretty okay. Now, don't run to the end. Enter the story and just feel it. Their prayer, Lord, the one you love is sick. He knew something that we didn't. I'm so glad I was not there so that you may believe. Believe what? He hears us. When bad news comes your way, pray. Because He hears us. Even if your prayer is an angry prayer, there's no condemnation. He hears us. Believe what? He can be trusted. Martha, just trust me. Believe what? He hurts with us. Jesus wept. Believe what? He's working 
for the glory of God. Believe what? (laughs) That God sent him from God, for God, to be God. Therefore, regardless whatever you're facing, there is hope. There's hope in the Jesus way. Hold on to that hope. Amen? Amen. And to be honest, I'm glad he wasn't there either. He raised the dead. And he was raised from the dead. As Chip said, mission accomplished. He's the resurrection and the life. He will never abandon us. Therefore, be grateful. Amen? My prayer is that you face a new week, that you'll be out there affected by what happened this hour, full of hope in Him. Have a great week.